some slick Ari Gold type person. Really, if you think about sales, uh, the best like Hollywood rendition of a true salesperson would be Tommy Boy. Uh, here's a guy who has no sales experience. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Kreider. Today, we're sitting down with Ryan Stuman, aka the Hardcore Closer, to talk about, among other things, sales and how you can begin to significantly improve your sales process. So, one of the highlights of this episode is that Ryan digs very deep and literally, he got, he, guys, he lays out his exact step by step. It's called the catch sales process. Okay, it's the catch sales process. And what, what the catch sales process is is exactly how Ryan closes all of his clients okay he literally charges his coaching clients ten thousand dollars for this blueprint that he lays out step by step by step in this podcast episode okay this is stuff that he's not sharing anywhere else for free um so the fact that you guys are getting this information here is absolutely ridiculous okay so again this information costs thousands and thousands of dollars and you're getting it for free on this podcast he's showing you exactly how he closes his clients and again he's closing clients for tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars on different deals um so these strategies work whether you are are just starting off or whether you are in the big leagues um, like Ryan Stuman is. So whether you are like in your first sales job or, or you're just trying to like get to that next level, increase your income, this is going to be an extremely valuable episode for you because again, so many things in life are based on sales. Okay. Sales is literally just like helping people make good decisions. So if you are able to internalize the things that we're talking about in this exact sales process that Ryan lays out, um, you're really going to be a leg up in everything that you are doing in your life. So without further ado, we're going to welcome Ryan Stuman on to the podcast. So wherever you are listening to the show from today, whether you are taking a walk, whether you are commuting to work, I want you guys to sit back, relax, plug in and enjoy this episode of Young Smart Money with Ryan Stuman, the hardcore closer. All right, Ryan, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? Dude, I am, uh, I'm old, but I feel like smart money. So, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm around you now. So maybe by the time this is over with, I'll feel like young, smart money again. That's what I'm talking about. There we go. There we go. So Ryan, our listeners got to hear a little bit about you in the intro to this episode, but for those of them that aren't familiar with who you are, um, what the hardcore closer brand is all about, could you give us like a quick 60 to 90 second snapshot of where you are right now? Uh, yes. So uh, right now I'm super successful, I guess, by any definition in my old neighborhood that I grew up in. But I've also been a prolific mistake maker along the way. Mm. I was adopted at age seven, ran away from home at age 15, dropped out of school at age 16, uh, was dead, overdosed from drugs by the time I was 19. By the time I was 20, 21 and 22, I was locked up inside a prison. By the time I was 24, I was uh, making six figures a year as a banker of all things. By the time I was 25, I was making seven figures a year as a banker. By the time I was 27, I was back in prison again. And uh, by the time I was 30, I got out of prison, went in a millionaire, walked out $25 to my name, divorced, stripped, and lost everything. Uh, started all over from scratch. Flash forward just 11 years. It's going to be 11 years in July. 11 years later, I built a uh, multi, multi eight figure empire across five different companies and uh, some pretty hardcore brands from asset management to uh, a software company to an online educational company for entrepreneurs. We call Break Free Academy to our sales training with hardcore closer, dude. So through all of that, Apple, the only thing, the reason why I'm so passionate about sales and, and entrepreneurship is the only thing that allowed me to get where I'm at today was my sales skills. 
I wouldn't be the entrepreneur I am today. I wouldn't be the CEO today I am. I wouldn't have even had a shot coming out of prison for the second time if it wasn't for sales. If there was one thing, like some people say, when I hit a low spot in my life, Jesus was there for me. And I'm cool if you're a religious person. When I hit a low spot in my life, sales was the only fucking thing around for fucking miles. And so I just decided to become the best at it. And when I got out of prison with $25 in my name, sales is what got me back into earning money. When I lost my ability to originate mortgages in 2010, sales was what launched me into entrepreneurship, man. So it's like, uh, I mean, that's why I'm so passionate about it, why we built a hardcore closer brand. Absolutely, man. And that passion really does show. So I want to dive a lot deeper into your story now because um, I think I think there's a lot of, of pieces of that that I really want to hit on and, and I think would be very valuable for our listeners. So I always like to start the show off by diving deeper into like the middle school and high school years. And for you, it sounds like there was a lot going on in that time period. So talk to us about that time period before you ended up running away and dropping out. Um, and then through that time period as well, like what was, what was life like for you? Were you, were you into school? Were you already getting involved with sales and entrepreneurship or just like, what did life look like at that point? So if we're talking middle school, uh, for, for me in the town that I grew up in, middle school started in the seventh grade. So middle school was seventh and eighth. That was it. Right. Okay. And, uh, I remember the summer that I was in sixth grade going to seventh grade. There was a little, uh, like a public pool, you know, city pool behind the middle school. Mm-hmm. It's called Ford pool. And, uh, the first time that I ever smoked marijuana was next to that pool with one of the kids from middle school. Right. And I know a lot of people say they didn't really get high the first time, but, but I did, right? And I, and I really liked it. And uh, one of my best friends, a guy named Jared, was, was with me. And uh, we don't talk now. I don't know where the guy's at in life. He was just a childhood friend, you know, but, uh, but he'd been my friend through elementary school. And uh, he, he smoked the weed, too. I never thought to go, like, buy the weed and do anything with it, right? Because, A, my, my, my adopted parents, uh, my adopted dad and my mom, they, they were we're not nice people. Right. So I surely didn't want to bring drugs in their house and them kick the shit out of me or whatever. Right. Uh, but my friend Jared, man, he, you know, the next thing you know, this guy's smoking weed in his house. He's, he's bringing weed to school and shit like that. And I remember he got arrested for having pot in school. Somebody told on him, one of the kids, you know, that, you know, it's back when Zach Morris was ratting on that one dude for smoking pot and saved by the bell and shit like that. So it's kind of <laughs> my, my friend ended up getting arrested in the seventh grade. It was like, wow. should have been a moment where it's like, dude, I'm staying away from drugs. But instead that was like the last thing that went through my mind. It's like, don't bring drugs to school. Note to self, keep drugs at home. Right. And, uh, and so my, uh, my adopted dad found out about Jared getting arrested and he was Masonic brothers with the principal of the middle school there. They're Masons, which is like a fraternity for fucking old people. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and so in the morning, my adopted dad would give me three whip whippings with like this paddle that he made. Right. And before I left school every afternoon at like four o'clock or whatever, the principal is Masonic brother would whoop me three times and send me home. Now, this was, let's say, 1993, 94, somewhere around then. Could you imagine that happening today? Like, could you, like, I could probably go back and, like, I'm not going to because I don't give two fucks, but I could probably go back and sue that school for fucking mental anguish and abuse and the reason I went to prison. I could probably blame all sorts of shit on them because, I mean, that was legit for, like, two weeks 
I got fucking three licks from the principal five days a week. You know, I remember my ass hurt so bad that I was fucking, uh, I quit playing football because it hurt to sit on the bench, right? Like, I was just like, it was, it was fucking atrocious, right? Three in the morning, three in the evening. Neither one of these guys are small. And, uh, and so, you know, I decided in, in middle school that, like, fuck, this school is a place for abuse. School is a place where teachers don't understand me. School is a place that will call the cops on you and arrest you over, you know, some shit that they probably could have just counseled you about. So I had all these, like, these, these bad inhibitions and shit like that around school. And it was like, and what's funny is, like, for me, I got spanked the first day. That I have a whole life full of abuse, but I got spanked the very first day of kindergarten because I like threw a piece of fruit at some other kid that was my friend or my cousin or so, so long ago. But, but in the principal was my aunt, right? And so I grew up in a small town. And so it's kind of just, just how things were. And so, you know, in my middle school years, man, they were tough, you know, and, and, uh, there was a heroin epidemic around our city and, uh, and, and so like going into high school, probably my freshman year of high school, I lost three or four of my friends to, to drugs. And, uh, and that's just like when I dropped out and I was like, shit, then I had this like epiphany. It's like, you know, my friends keep dying from heroin and, and I've never done heroin still to this day. Uh, but my friends keep dying from heroin and, and, and coming from the neighborhood that I'm from is like, well, you know what, dude, I, I got to sell drugs. I'm not selling heroin because it's obviously killing people. But, dude, there's so many people doing drugs that are at least willing to die for this shit. There's got to be something into it. And that was really uh, – in high school, I started selling LSD. And that was really, like, my first uh, journey into entrepreneurism. You know, we would take uh, little hits of acid, and we would stuff them inside uh, Wrigley Spearmint gum. And so you'd have a gum that you wrapped, you know what I mean? And then we'd yeah. have a hit of acid in there, and we'd slide the green cover back on top of it. And if you hit us up and you're like, hey, do you have some spearmint gum? It was $5 and you would buy gum from me. If people didn't know the game, they were like, hey, can I have some gum? I always kept a pack of juicy fruit. I'd just give them a regular piece of gum too. <laughs> so like nobody noticed any kind of weird shit going on. You know what I mean? So that was kind of our thing. But uh, I, I got like they were on to me. They never caught me with it, but they knew I was up to something. And so they started suspending me from school for little odds and ends deals. And I just eventually left. Hmm. It's funny because a lot of the people that I talked to on the show who, who are now involved in sales and just entrepreneurship started off as like street pharmacists like yourself who were, who were doing any kind of hustle they could when they were just getting started. So it's, it's interesting to see that pattern and um, not to go too deep into it, but I definitely had my experience doing that kind of stuff as well um, back when I was in high school. So I, I definitely, I definitely see where you're coming from on that. And like, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I could go down a, a huge rabbit hole on that, but <laughs> Well, most people, like, so if you're 16, where are you going to get a job? Sonic? Yeah. Fucking dry cleaners? They ain't going to pay you back then. Minimum wage is $5.15, right? So, like, what are you going to do with that? You know, even back then, there wasn't shit just like minimum wage ain't shit now. It's seven fifty-five. Like, what are you going to do with that? And so the thing is, as kids, we can't get jobs anywhere. Our parents, I don't know about your parents. My parents didn't have any fucking money. So I don't have any money to go do the things that I want. So the only opportunity that we have is some sort of hustle uh, the, and generally illegal hustle because the legal hustles won't employ us because we're too big of a liability and risk, you know? So it doesn't. And, and, and that's why if you look like the cops would pull over young people and search them and arrest them and shit all the time. Cause those are like the opportunities that are afforded to us, you know, but now thanks to social media, Young people, I meet young people all the time in middle school and high school and shit like that at the events that we do. And 
and then our mixers and all my mentoring program and they're learning how to drop ship like dude the new drug dealing is shopify drop shipping the new <laughs> drug dealing is instagram influencers the new drug dealing is getting sponsorships on your podcast or becoming a soundcloud rapper like that's the new drug dealing and you can make better money because here's the thing i drove rolls royce from my office today i left my mansion I done bought a lot of fucking dope in my day. And I bought big, huge amounts of dope too. At one point I was doing really fucking bad things out there. I never bought it from nobody in the mansion driving a Rolls Royce. So we like have these false pretenses that these rappers are what drug dealers look like. And the truth is, man, I can tell you drug dealers look more like training day than they do look like little Wayne and shit, you know? Mm, that's the truth, man. That's the truth. There's all these mixed up perceptions that are going through young people's minds these days of like where the actual success is and where the actual money is. And it's just not based on reality whatsoever. It's not, but, but in the meantime, I know young folks that are 18, 19, 20 years old that own Lamborghinis outright paid for yeah. because they've been drop shipping, not because they were moving keys from Mexico to Texas, but because they were moving key chains from China to California. You know what I mean? hundred percent, hundred percent. So, so talk to the younger listener now who, who's interested in getting involved in, in sales. Um, what are, what are some of the biggest misconceptions you see? Cause I get a lot of my, my, my subscribers, my followers, um, approach me. They tell me I'm, I'm just coming out of high school, just coming out of college, getting my first sales gig and I have no experience with sales. So what are the, some, some of the biggest mistakes you see young people making who are just getting involved in sales? Well, let's, let's, there's, there's a lot of uh, layers to that onion that you just threw yeah. to me, but I like that. I like that. So, uh, number one is don't just sell anything, figure out what you like and go sell it. Even if you got to sell it for free for a little while, most things that you're going to sell, you have to sell for free for a little while. Anyway, you want to get into real estate. Cool. You're probably not going to sell a house for 90 to 180 days. You're probably not. When you sell, it's going to be 10 or 20,000, but you're going to be 30 or $40,000 in debt and shit because you haven't had money. That's just how it is. And you have to push past that period. And, and, you know, it, it's hard. You want to do mortgages, same thing, insurance, the same thing, nothing in sales that you start on day one and you get rich. That's the biggest misconception is most people think, oh, if I go and I take this job in roofing, I'll make 10 grand a month. Yeah, you will, but it's going to be a while, right? You might make 50 grand or a hundred grand a month, but you're not going to make it your first month. I fucking promise you that. Okay. There's a learning curve, a pipeline building period and everything else you're going to have to go through. But what I would recommend, and this isn't just for sales jobs, this is any job, find out what you like. It's so easy to sell something you already like. Let's say you like video games, right? Like go, go sell video games, like go buy, uh, use video games from China and sell them on Amazon, right? And then use your passion to write good copy that persuades people why they should buy Contra because it was the original left, left, upright, BA, you know, nostalgic video game of its kind. Right, like start selling something you're passionate. Say you're passionate about Barbie dolls, right? There's collecting Barbie dolls. I know my mom used to collect these things called holiday Barbies, and she would buy them for like two hundred dollars a year, and then five, ten years later, they'd be worth ten, fifteen thousand dollars to collectors. My mom was into that. That was a little side hustle she had, you know. And and so anything that you're into, you can sell, right? Like, and so you don't have to be limited to selling what Ryan Stuman's company sells or what this company sells or what other companies sell. Like you don't have to be limited to that. Figure out what it is that you're passionate about and go sell that stuff, right? That's number one, because if, you're, if you like what you sell, if you're passionate, if you think it's cool, then you'll sell a lot of it anyway, just because you'll think it's cool and other people will get that vibe. So much of sales is confidence in you, right? So the consumer, they don't know shit about your product. 
right? That's why they haven't bought it yet. They haven't experienced it. They haven't played with it. They haven't been educated on it. They don't know shit about your product. The reason why people buy is if there's twofold. It's when value exceeds price, when you've made it seem like it's so much more than what it actually costs, and when you truly believe in your product. You see, people can tell when you're just trying to sell them something that you would never fucking own, right? Like, I could never go sell Toyotas, okay? Nothing against people that own Toyotas, but I've never driven one. I've never bought one. I've never been to a Toyota dealership, and I've never even for one second considered buying a Toyota. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. I think the forerunners are cute. I think they're cool looking vehicles, right? It's just that I'm not passionate about them. So if I sold the Toyota, I'd be sitting there going, dude, why aren't you buying an F-150? Fuck this six built six cylinder car. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's just how I am. You know, I can never go sell uh, uh, insurance. I'm not passionate about insurance. I know people that make millions of dollars selling insurance. I fucking hate insurance. There's no way that I'm going to sell it. To me, insurance is a burden, you know? I'm not going to go sell it. Could I be good at it? Sure. But if I, I don't want to be good at something. I want to be great at something. So if there's something that I like and that I'm passionate about, the chances of me being great at selling it are uh, a lot higher. Okay. The, the second thing is you don't have to be a big talker to be good at sales. Uh, number one rule in sales is, or the number one uh, motto, I would say mantra, is he who speaks the least earns the most. If you're in a sales conversation and you talked more than your prospect, chances are they're not buying from you because you can shut the fuck up and listen to them, right? And if you take a transcript of your sales calls and you use more words than your prospect, chances are you blew that sale. If you take a transcript of your sales calls and they use more words than you, chances are you closed that sale because he who speaks the least closes the deal, right? And he who speaks the least earns the most. And so many people have this misconception that you've got to be Gordon Gecko or, or Jordan Belfort or Zig Ziglar or Grant Cardone to be good at sales. And the truth is, you know, I don't know Jordan Belfort. I know Grant and uh, Grant's great motivation, right? Grant's like great in, in, in keeping you high energy and, and positive and all that other stuff. Uh, you don't have to be like that to be in sales. Sales is simply being a problem solver. You don't have to have the gift of gab. Like some of the coldest salespeople that I know that raise hundreds of millions of dollars per month for their venture capital firm or for their business or whatever the case for their franchises, dude, you'd never suspect them as a salesperson. They don't look like it. They don't dress like it. They're just dudes that understand a problem that know how to position the solution to that problem that their prospects are, are, are uh, facing. And so you don't have to be like some slick Ari Gold type person. Really, if you think about sales, uh, the best like Hollywood rendition of a true salesperson would be Tommy Boy. Uh, here's a guy who has no sales experience. He doesn't have the gift of gab. And uh, he has a, a mentor, you know, David Spade, that goes on the road with him and calls him out on all this bullshit. And he just keeps practicing, you know, uh, with these folks until he finally gets it down. And in the end, he starts listening and he starts filling these orders. And then all of a sudden he gets the girl, saves the village you know, saves the factory and all the other stuff. That's really what it's like in sales. It's not the Jordan Belfort where they're on the, the phone like Vin Diesel is in Boiler Room and he's like, well, by the way, I've got fancy words here that make you change your mind. That's, that's <laughs> typically not how it is. It's typically a question that makes them change their mind, right? Okay, so what makes, what makes you think that, the, that this product is, is priced too high, right? And let them explain to you. So what I like to do in the sales process, ask as many questions as it takes, not as many as possible, but as many as it takes until they have that aha moment, I need his shit. And when you can get a prospect 
to have that aha moment. I need his shit is so much better than you trying to talk them into buying stuff. But that won't happen unless you're passionate about whatever it is you're selling in the first place, because you're never going to like, if you are passionate about whatever it is that you're selling, you're going to be able to give them that aha moment because you've had it yourself. Mm, exactly. So when it comes to asking questions to a prospect, what is your sort of process for, for establishing like what, what good questions are to ask them to move them closer to eventually that close? So, uh, I think every salesperson have five to six uh, questions that they ask every single pros prospect that they have. Um, I I'll help you out. It'll take me about 20 minutes here, but I I'll give you guys some really good content. And, and I'll just give you my, my process. I've charged people $10,000 to learn this in the past. And uh, obviously for 10 grand, you get a little bit more in depth than, than maybe 15 or 20 minutes. But we have a process called catch and uh, C A T C H. And in, uh, in, my line of thinking in the modern sales economy, I don't want to cold call or door knock or bother people. It's not that I'm no good at it. I'm fucking awesome at it. It's not that I, I can't do it. I just don't want to because I don't want it done to me. I don't want people cold calling me. And like, I, I, I couldn't tell you, let me, let me think out of this. You have to be pretty fucking stupid in 2019 to get a phone call from a stranger and then decide to do business with them and give them money. Right? Like, I mean, it's like it's fucking sketchy in today's day and age. You know what I mean? A little bit. Stupid, you know, and uh, especially when you can just Google whatever it is that you want. And so for me, I believe in generating leads. So I believe the sales process starts when people first see your advertisement or your post on social media or your uh, result in Google or they land on your website or your offer or whatever it is, right? That's when the sales process starts. And so my job is to continue casting bait out there to catch leads. Once the lead shows up, to me, that lead's sticking up their hand saying, I have this problem, maybe you can help me, let's talk. And that's when I take them through this CATCH process. CATCH is an acronym. The first C stands for clarify why they're there in the first place, right? So if we put bait out there and they came in, took the bait, raised their hand, said they need help, I need to clarify why they did all that, why they arrived on my phone or in my inbox or in my lead box or in my CRM or whatever that is for you, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to simply start the conversation like this. And, and this seems when people are having this conversation with me that don't know about this, this seems like just some natural ass conversation going down. Uh, but there's no scripts with catch. It's, it's just uh, the way that it flows. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to say, uh, and we'll role play here, Apple. We'll have a good sure. time, right? So so, uh, hey, Apple, it's Ryan. I got your information here and uh, saw where you were looking about joining one of our programs. And, uh, and I just want to reach out and introduce myself and, and help you out. Uh, what part of the country are you from? So I'm actually from the Midwest. Okay, awesome. What part? Uh, from Wisconsin, actually. Okay, cool. Man. You know what? I have a client, Mark Jennison, who is in Wisconsin. And uh, we've worked together for about three years. We took that guy from, uh, he was miserable, man. He was selling car dealership sales training which is a pain in the ass if you've never done it so now he keeps people sober like he found out what he was really good at he makes 10 times the money keeping people sober uh than he ever did selling sales training to a car dealership and uh he's actually in milwaukee there a great guy so uh so what i say that for is we've obviously helped people in your area uh, achieve probably what you're looking for today too which brings me to my next question what made you decide to reach out 
Well, I came across one of your Facebook ads and it just looked like a good opportunity for me to improve my sales skills. Perfect. So let's pause right there for a second in that conversation. What I just did seemed like casual. Where are you from? Awesome. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's that simple, right? But really what I showed you was social proof that somebody like you in your geographic area has got the results that you're looking for as well, right? They left the miserable job that they, they thought they were supposed to create, created the life and the jobs, right? So I've shown you this whole, I had a client in a real simple, like, oh, hey, I got a client in that area. You know what I mean? Yeah. Really what I'm doing is I'm fucking taking away your objections later. Have you ever <laughs> helped anybody in Milwaukee? Has this happened before? Right? I'm taking away those objections up front. And you don't even know it because you just think it's casual conversation, but the subconscious knows. Yeah. Then I hit you with the most powerful question in all of sales. And you didn't even realize it. When I said, all right, awesome. Well, what made you decide to reach out? That's really what we were going for. All that other shit that I had you go through and answer about where you're from and stuff was to loosen you up so that I could ask you the big question and you not even realize how big it is. When you answer that question, first of all, anything that you say is a subconscious admittance to needing me and deciding to reach out to me. And human beings, the hardest thing to get us to fucking do is make a decision. If you don't believe me, go ask your significant other what they want to eat for dinner. We need food to survive and they can't decide where the fuck they want to eat when it's date night. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's how, because we're indecisive because decisions come with consequences and decisions imply intentions and intentions and decisions come with consequences. And so many people are scared of negative consequences. They never think about the fact that a lot of consequences have positive uh, aspects of them as well. And so most people won't make a decision. But when I ask you what made you decide to reach out and you answer that question, all of a sudden I've already got you making decisions on my behalf, right? Mm. Now, here's the thing. You answered this in one of two ways. There's only two answers. I've, been, I've had fucking thousands of these, these calls where I've done this and counting my team that I've trained tens of thousands, right? And so what happens is there's two answers. People say, I saw your ad checking it out just kind of what you said mm -hmm. and then there is the second type and you're the harder i'm gonna have the, the the answer you gave me and i know we're just role playing so you don't want to go into too much but the answer you gave me is about 85 percent of the time mm -hmm. that's the answer you're going to get just just checking things out mr stupid right uh, and we'll get back to that the other part is the guy where you say or the gal when you say what made you decide to reach out they're like look man in the seventh grade shit was all fucked up man my mom wasn't there my dad wasn't there my uncle left me. My grandma touched me. It's a whole freaking deal. By the time I was 23, my girlfriend had broke my heart and I thought we were going to get married. And then I have a kid now that I'm having to pay child support. And she's married to somebody that I absolutely can't stand that used to be my best friend. And then I started this business and the business took off. And now I've hit this plat. Like they're telling you this long ass story. Well, why would someone start telling you a long ass story like that? Most people think, salespeople, they think because they need to vent. Ah, man, because they're looking for the fucking solution. They're telling you their problems in anticipation that you have the solution, right? So they're, they drop their guard. They've said, listen, this is my fucking problem. Tell me if you can solve it or not. Whereas you, when you gave me the answer, you're like, I'm skeptic, right? I'm just seeing. I'm just mm -hmm. checking things out. Like maybe I've got a problem and maybe you can uncover it and maybe you have a solution. But the second person is trying to find the fucking solution. About 15% of the time, those are your sales. Here's the problem though, or 15% of the time, those are the, like the easiest lay down one call sales. But here's the problem. If you would have been that second person, 
I wouldn't have said a word for however long it took you until you stopped talking. Uh, first of all, out of respect for another fellow human being. Yeah. But, but second, because he who speaks the least earns the most. And I'm going to listen to what you say, and I'm going to be writing down clues that might help me close you later. Plus, like one of the keys to selling, I see there's two keys to selling, empathy and confidence. Uh, confidence that your product will solve their, their problem. And empathy, and, and, and they have to understand that you have empathy. It's not just the fact that you have empathy. They have to know that you have empathy because they won't believe that you can solve their problem if they don't think you understand their problem, which is what empathy is, right? And so I'm going to listen empathetically. I'm not going to interrupt them. I'm not going to try to one-up them. I'm not going to try to impress them with my fancy words. I'm just going to listen to them. Mm -hmm. mm. Wow. Right? Just... Just active listening words, not because mm -hmm, mm -hmm, then it seems like you're racing, you're you're trying to rush a motherfucker through the thing and send mm. you up. Mm. Mm. Wow, and and not as often as I just did it, but ever yeah. so often, just to show them that you're paying attention, right? Then when you when so those two people, they're either going to talk a lot, tell you the problem, or they're going to put their guard up a little bit. Either one is completely okay. So we asked what made you decide to reach out. The A part of catch, so we got, that's where we're clarifying why they're there in our inbox, on our phone, whatever the case. The A is now we have to assign their mind to an agenda, okay? And so what happens is most sales conversations, the person that called in, the prospect's nervous as hell, right? Shit, how much money is Apple going to charge me for this? Is it even going to work? Oh, geez, dude, I've already spent money this month. Fucking bills are coming up. How much is this going to be? I can't continue on. Dude, they're nervous and anxious as hell right? No matter what it is that you sell. And then there's the sales guy who has his own set of nervousness and anxiousness, right? They're worried about shit, dude, am I going to close the sale? How am I going to feed my family this week? Fuck, if Apple tells me no and he doesn't buy my shit, then now all of a sudden, how am I going to buy milk for my babies, dude? I should have closed that deal last month and it didn't work out neither. Am I going to have to go to work at Walmart? Fuck, I got to close this thing, right? So there's like, huge massive amounts of anxiety on this call and i don't know if you've ever been around a couple of anxious people but it is not a productive setting to be in right it's not productive at all and if you see two anxious like worried people having a conversation it's like nails on a chalkboard to me so instead as a salesperson first of all we got to be fucking calm and collected second of all we have to assign their mind to agenda so we take them away from being on a paranoid sales call into having a structured conversation. And how we do that is real simple. This is the only, there's, there's two scripts in this whole entire thing. First of them is what made you decide to reach out. It's pretty damn easy to remember. Here's the second one. After they're finished telling you the story or giving you the answer, when they're finished, not when you interrupted them, not when you stopped them, anything else, when they're done, you say, awesome. I don't give a fuck if they just told you their mom died. You say, awesome. But here's what I need for you if we're going to solve this. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I just need you to give me honest answers. Anytime we're going through this, if you don't understand something or if you have a question for me, just feel free to ask me, and I'll answer honestly as well. Does that sound fair to you? Now, all of a sudden, we've told them, hey, this is not a sales call, homie. I'm just going to ask you some questions. Just don't lie to me. Meanwhile, if you got questions, I won't lie to you either. Seem fair? I have had this call 
16,000 successful times. It's probably been done 25,000 times altogether, but we have 16,000 clients. So it's been done 16,000 plus times successfully. I have never heard anybody in any of the history of me, my team, my clients, anybody else say, no, nah, man, that's not fair at all. Again, it's unsuspecting. What made you decide to reach out? Oh, well, let me tell you, it's unsuspecting. Does that sound fair? Yeah, absolutely. But subconsciously, now we have structure. So we took that anxiety into, oh, oh, now I don't have to worry about what he's going to say. He's going to ask me questions. So we're going to assign their mind to agenda. Awesome. Well, let me tell you what. In order for me to figure out if I can help you with that, I need to ask you some questions. All I ask is that you answer them honestly. Meanwhile, if you have questions for me, ask them. I'll answer honestly as well. Sound like a fair deal to you? Boom. Real simple. Now we're going to go to T. We're going to talk them through their pain. And so we can't say we're going to ask them questions and then start just telling the motherfucker shit. That's not how it works, right? Instead, what we got to do is we got to figure out and uncover what the real problem is. For example, if someone wants to buy, uh, they want a mortgage and you're a mortgage maker. They don't want a mortgage. Nobody wants fucking mortgage, right? A mortgage is a 30-year noose around your neck, that, a bill that you have to pay every single month. Nobody wants that. They want a house. And they might have a little credit challenge or past bankruptcy or something that they're worried about keeping them from getting that house. Your job is not to sell them on the lowest interest rate or how fast you can close. Your job is to sell them on the fact that you know how to get around whatever problem that they're worried about and make sure that they move into that house and the mortgage is just the bridge to get there. But in order to do that, I have to ask them questions that lead them to uncovering, like when you go into the doctor for the example, right? And the doctor, he has the same set of things he does every time, right? He's asking you questions. You know, do you feel this? Do you be hot? Do you take care of your ears? Do you brush your teeth? When's the last time you showered? When's the last time you were sexually active? He has these same, quite, matter of fact, now you answer the questions before you even see the doctor. You answer them on a piece of paper, right? Which, by the way, you can do things to internet marketing as well. You have somebody fill out an application before you have a sales conversation with them. And, but what happens is this doctor has these go-to questions that he asks you. As a salesperson, you should have go-to questions that you ask every single one of your prospects when you're in the T part of this catch conversation. Uh, for example, for real estate agents, uh, five questions that we teach them to use are, uh, what neighborhoods are you looking in? What time frame are you looking to buy in? Uh, do you need to sell the home that you currently rent in? Uh, what is your price range? Are you currently working with a real estate agent? Have you been pre-approved by a bank yet? Right. Those six questions give us an idea of what's going on and will lead us down the path to where we need if we're trying to sell a house. If I'm an Internet marketer, the question is, how much money do you make right now? Awesome. Where are you trying to go in your business? What's your ultimate goal? Cool. What's the biggest hang up that's keeping you from where you are right now to where you want to go? Right. So I'm starting to ask these same questions over and over again so that I can start saying, OK, well, they told me this was their problem. Cool. I'm going to go ahead and keep asking all my questions and I'm going to go back around and address that problem that they told me about. What we're doing is much like a doctor. You go and you tell the doctor, he goes and he does all this stuff and he says, okay, so tell me what's wrong with you. You say, my elbow hurts. He doesn't start feeling on your knee. I don't know, unless you got like a weird doctor or whatever, but he doesn't start feeling on your knee, right? What he does, he starts feeling on your elbow until he gets to a point where you're like, ah, shit, that's it. Fuck, that hurt, right? And he's like, okay, cool. You got acute tendonitis, AKA tennis elbow, right? But here's what happens. Most salespeople, they try to avoid making somebody have some pain. And so they start feeling on their knee, but the problem's not in their knee. 
So you can fill on their knee as much as you want. You can move up their thigh or whatever the hell you want to do, but it's not going to solve the problem that exists in their elbow. And so when you're having this T conversation, what you're looking to do is stay on that elbow and feel around and ask them questions until they go, ah, shit, that's where it's at. You're looking for that pain point. You're asking them the questions that talk them into telling you about their pain point. And once they do that, that's when you give them the call to action. Awesome. Would you like for me to fix that? That's all you have to do. Would you like for me to fix that? Hey, your problem is you're making a million now. You want to make 10 million, but you can't seem to get the customer service or the delivery part of your deal down. It's absolutely killing you. Keep firing people. I hear your whole deal. Would you like for me to help you with that? I can. Do you want my help? They're either going to say yes or no. They're usually going to say, yeah, but it depends on how much it is. Awesome. Well, now at least we got a little bit micro commitment, right? We got them to make another decision. That's where we come into H, which is we handle their objections. Okay. So there's two types of people. This is the great thing. I told you the people that answered the way that you answered, kind of guarded. Those are the folks that you're going to have to move into phase H. You're going to have to handle their objections. They're going to have a few objections. Sounds nice and all, Stuman, but the people that told you their life story, you probably won't ever go to H. Because when you say, would you like for my help for that? Yes. How much is it? I'm ready. Because they're looking for a solution, right? And both of them can be lucrative prospects. It's just you have to communicate differently to one than you do the other. But after you've handled their business, handled their objections and stating, because so many people, they say, well, I need to talk to my partner. I ask, why? Why? What do you mean, why? Well, I mean, you have a partner, but surely they know you're on this phone call, right? Surely they know that that problem you just told me about exists, right? Why do you need to call them? Well, I think that's a very rude thing to ask. Yeah, just If it's a stall technique, fine, tell me. I'm okay with that if you need time to stall or whatever. It's been my experience that the longer you stall, the longer you're going to have the problem anyway. So why are you going to go talk to your business partner if both of you know you got to get rid of this problem? So many salespeople are scared to have that conversation. I'm not being a dick about it. I'm just being real with them, right? You can tell your business partner, does the business partner not know you have this problem? Does he not want to solve it either? And so I'm going to handle those objections and I'm going to stay in there. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be awkwardness. But guess what? If they're not going to buy, they're not going to buy anyway. Right? Like so many people, like, oh, I don't want to piss them off. They're not going to buy. Like, first of all, if you say something that is nice, polite, professional, and piss them off, fuck them. You don't want to do business with them anyway. Second of all, if you say something that pisses them off, it's because you had a nerve and it's the truth because the truth will set you free, but it'll damn sure piss you off first. How do you- so that's catch, right? How- you walk through that process with your inbound leads. You will close two out of five, even if you are a shitty salesman. However, you have to do the front end work. You have to define the questions that you're going to ask during that T period. And you know what? Those aren't set some questions. What you use today, you might find better set of questions 60, 90 days from now. So those questions are always evolving and leveling up as well. So. Absolutely. And that was, that was an extremely valuable, just complete breakdown of, of that entire process. And I'm sure our listeners got a ridiculous amount of value from that. One thing that, that really stood out to me um, is that you mentioned confidence was kind of like a cornerstone of sales in general, and like having a strong sense of confidence of like, I can come in here and I can solve this problem for you. How can our listeners begin to develop that if they're not somebody who is naturally confident? If they go into situations like this, like feeling extremely anxious, like we were talking about earlier, what are some strategies to overcome that anxiousness and really establish themselves as somebody who's confident, who can really come in and, and solve this problem? Well, if you know that you can solve the problem, like, you know, right? Like, you, you know, if you're not confident, it's because here's what I see. 
-hmm. A lot of salespeople that are incompetent is because they're trying to sell something that they know that they can't 100% fix or, or solve. Right. Mm. And so that's where the incompetence comes from. It's like, dude, I don't know if I can actually do this. Like if it was, you just started a social media agency and you sold your, you sold your first Facebook ads campaign and you've never done it before. Right. You're going to have a little bit of anxiety because you've never done it before. When you're on number five and the other four are getting leads, you're like, I've done this shit before. Right. So confidence comes from taking action and getting better. But a lot of times confidence, lack of confidence is because they're selling something that they just have no experience about. So, but if you're good at what you do, it's okay to have anxiety. I know I can be an introvert at times and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you know that you're good at what you do, don't you think that you owe it to the people that you can do it the best for to get it done? Because if not, they could be hiring somebody else that's not as good. Do the worst phone call or inbox message I get is somebody saying, oh, I went and hired this guy, Nick, and now my shit's all messed up and I don't know what to do. You know, that's like being in the friend zone as a dude. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, oh, I was over here and we were just, you know, doing a threesome with with Johnny and you know what? It seemed like you liked the other girl and blah, blah, blah. It's like, hold up, man, that is not my problem. But it's disappointing because I could have been in the bed in the first place, right? And so that it, I feel like we owe it to our people that if we're good at something like you don't have to be confident so i'm the best motherfucker hire me but at the same time it's like absolutely i've dealt with this before and i can absolutely solve it you can count on me. it doesn't have to be some fancy words because i've seen this before i've handled it before you can count on me that's the truth and, and yeah from my experience as well just like getting those reps under your belt just makes you so much more confident that your solution is the right solution to their problem well, I can tell you, let's like everything in the natural is supernatural correlation, right? So um, the first time that I, uh, I, I squat 315 pounds, it's like, dude, I looked at it, I counted it up and I had been working up to it. It wasn't like I just picked it up the first time in my life, right? Yeah. And I was like, dude, that is a lot of weight. And I did one rep, right? It's, you know, years ago. Now, like that's a workout weight for me, right? Because I'm confident that I've already picked it up. I've already done it. I've already done So now I'm working on my weight 355, 375, right? But 315, that's just now what was one time something that I was not confident that I could handle. Now it's just something that I'm super confident because I've done it before along the way. It's just a, a bump in the road at this point. All right, Ryan, I've got some questions that I'd like to ask all of my guests before we wrap up the show. You've been dropping a ridiculous amount of value so far. Are you ready to hop into those? Yes, yeah, let's do it. Awesome. The first of which is what is something that genuinely has you excited right now? This could be in your business, lifestyle, or just anything that has you fired up. Uh, I'm writing a, a book. Now, I've written books before. I got 10 bestsellers, right? But I'm writing a book that it will, uh, I'm just going to say it, man. It will rival religious books. And, uh, and I, it's not a religious book. It's a, it's a how-to book for operation in this world. I know that sounds crazy that like some dumbass dude like me is writing this book. But I feel like for the first time in my life, the calling that I've had, I actually have been able to listen to it and clearly intercept the signal and translate the signal into this book, dude. And it's going to be a book that you'll see celebrities read. You'll see world leaders and, and people from politics. Like this will change the way the, the world works. And, I, and I, I know it's crazy as it sounds. I have the fucking plan and the backing to actually do it these days. So really what I'm excited about is I'm about to change the fucking world for real. That's huge, dude. When's it dropping? And, and the crazy thing is it's nothing to do with sales or really business. It's like, <laughs> I had to go through the Apple. I had to go through these phases, man. I had to, 
I had to be the businessman to realize that that was only one part of life, but I was successful in it in order for me to become the family man that I needed to become in order to, to experience success in my home life, in order to finally get my act together physically and genetically and go on diets and shit as I approach 40, it's not as easy to keep a six pack and all those things, you know? And then I really had to work on my mindset. But for, for 20 years of my life, I just thought if I just go make money, all this other shit would get fucking tackled by the other shit. You know what I mean? And so now I've got this stuff down to, a science with focus and everything, man, but it'll, it'll probably be out the end of this year or next year because uh, I'm on chapter five, like it's completed five chapters in the introduction now and it's a 21 chapter book. Uh, But they're very long chapters. This will be probably an eight or nine hour book. Like this is going to be some, some, some real shit. Like this isn't just some, I wrote a book for, for Amazon. This is like something that you'll see guys like Joe Rogan say that they read and Kevin Hart say that they read and Dwayne Johnson say this shit changed his life. Like it's that kind of book. And I don't think anybody else on the planet could write it, but me. I love it, man. Last question I want to ask you before we wrap up is where can our listeners go? If they've been enjoying the massive amounts of value that you've been dropping, where can they follow up with you? Learn more about what you're doing at the hardcore closer um, and just follow up with you. Yeah, two places. So uh, I'm active on Instagram at hardcore closer. That's uh, the profile that I actually use. It's me posting on there and all that stuff. So if you want to send me a DM or whatever, it's actually how I got connected with you, obviously, to be on this podcast. And, uh, and hardcorecloser.com, you know, whether you're sales, mindset, motivation, lead generation, social media, real estate, investing advice, whatever it is that you need, uh, just go to hardcorecloser.com. There's over 3,000 articles and pages and videos and shit like that there. Like everything that you need business-wise, like that's the place. And, and all I ask is if you enjoy reading stuff on Hardcore Clothes, just share it on social media, man. Help me spread the word. Mm, absolutely. So I'll be sure to link up all those in the show notes as well. Ryan, again, I just want to thank you very much for your time. Do you have any last uh, closing thoughts, words of wisdom, or anything you want to close out the show with here today? Uh, yeah, just be on the lookout for the G-Code. It will change your life. It, it'll be a book that'll be out at the end of this year or the beginning of next year. We've already trademarked that and copyright and all that stuff, man. So uh, just be on the lookout for that book because it, it's not about the nine or 10 bucks you'll pay me to, to buy the book, man. It's about if you read it or listen to it because we're doing the audio book too. If you read it or listen to it, it'll change your fucking life. I'm living proof of that, man. So uh, just uh, just keep an eye out for that, you guys. There we go. I'm stoked for it. Ryan, again, man, I appreciate your time and I appreciate you choosing to spend it here on Young Smart Money. Later, Apple. Thanks for having me on. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Young Smart Money. Again, if you guys did enjoy the show, do remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us get in front of more people with the show. It helps you hear from even more amazing guests. It just makes the world go round when you do smash that five-star in iTunes. And if you guys want me to shout you out in my Instagram story, I am always up for that. So if you send a screenshot of your review to Apple Crider Official on Instagram, shoot me a DM of that or just tag me in it. Would love to repost it on my short story and give y'all a shout out there. Otherwise, I hope you guys do have a wonderful day, whether you're out walking the dog, whether you are at the gym, whatever you are up to on this fine day. I hope it is a splendid one and I will see you in the next episode. Have a wonderful day.